uh, to be together, even though uh, it's storming outside. Um, it's good to be in the house of the Lord. Let's just uh, pray. Uh, Father, I, I want to pray for just our um, country. I want to pray, Father, for our communities. I want to pray that you will, Father God, in the midst of um, the coronavirus and the storms that's raging, Father God, there's so many fearful minds this morning, Father God, of people um, trying to figure out what's going on. And I want to pray this morning, Father God, that you will be with the people of China, especially at this time, Father God, of locking down city by city, Father God, with our transport and and Father God, um, it must be terrible to be in those cities and not knowing what's going on and, and what's going to happen. Father God, this morning we we uh, bring the people of China to you and we ask you that you will bring a solution in the midst of their circumstances, Father God. Um, that uh, you will touch the lives of people in the midst of the storm. And Father God, that um, you will bring healing uh, to that nation, Father God, where it's brought them to a standstill. I pray at this moment, Father God, that you will be with our brothers and sisters even, that is um, the believers in China, Father God, that um, is, um, Father God, uh, uh, under tremendous um, pressure, Father God, um, already. I pray that at this time they will rise and shine and that they will bring the hope to that nation um, and that uh, in the in the circumstances that we are experiencing now, Father God, that they will see the light of Jesus. And I, I pray for that nation, Father God, that you will fulfill your purposes in and through it. Might it may it be a mighty, roaring sound of your voice at this time. In the name of Jesus. Amen. 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 Thank you, guys. Uh, yes, it's... Um, it's a good time for me. I, I want to actually um, um, get to a, a, a message that I've um, said I will come to this uh, weekend. And um, it's one that I preached before coming to the UK, actually yeah, at, in the UK, and also um, at Convergence at the time. But it's something that, um, that I've placed myself to, uh, to share with you guys again. And I want, um, if you've heard the message, I want to just encourage you. It was about three years ago that I preached it here, uh, just before coming to the UK. And I, um, but I just felt God said in um, the last few months already, you know, I must get back to this conversation and, um, and trust that God is really going to touch our hearts in this. Oh, I, oh sorry, I thought you, uh, you've got questions already. Um. <laughs> That's so good. Listen, um, it's, you guys are going to get back home safely. Uh, yesterday was a beautiful day. I, uh, I thought it was becoming summer already. I thought February is good on us. Um, uh, and uh, I went with Zoe to, to Richmond Park. And um, actually, the idea was just to go around the block. I said to my wife, I'll just take a little bit out of the home. Um, and, um, and so the two of us went with our bicycles um, to, uh, to just enjoy some sunshine and, and vitamin D. Um, and, um, and then at the end, we just kept on going and the adventure within me and within Zoe just kept on going. And at the end, we um, end up in, um, in Richmond Park. So, uh, so that was a, a good um, day in the park. Um, but ach, it was beautiful sitting with her, 
and just um, enjoying a cup of tea there in uh, Richmond Park, you know, and um, and I could see that she was just flourishing, you know, you, you know, those moments that you have with a person that you zoom in only on that person, and um, I could see that she was just flourishing with the attention that she got, um, but also, you know, the rest of the day, I was occupied with her, you know, last night I was still um, doing the um, maths um, homework with her and uh, everything you know ends up with dad because of that uh, and she's one of those kids that just enjoy special attention you must zoom in on her and then uh, you are her favorite so um, so yesterday was Zoe day okay it was uh, Milani um, didn't get any attention yesterday <laughs> it was uh, only Zoe and um, but it was beautiful to just see the effect on her life you know last night um, when I put her to bed, you know, just the way and affection that she shows when you, uh, when she flourish under the love that you give her. And um, I want to actually speak about just, uh, you know, fatherly love and, and even sonship this morning. Um, something that I know is, is um, you know, precious in, in the kingdom. And I want to talk about kingdom as well this morning. So if you can turn with your Bibles to 2 Corinthians 10, verse 12 to 18. I remember years ago, as you turned there, um, uh, we were driving out of Worcester, um, the place that we planted a church, and um, it was after five year of, years of, of amazing um, things that God has done. And I was um, driving out of the place, and, and at that moment I realized that uh, I was asking God, God, so is this the end of this church? You know, is it uh, because uh, we... Uh, you know, it's, we don't know what's the future going to be. There's not a pastor that we could send there. And there was only one person that, um, that was a candidate to, uh, to take over. And it was uh, Carlos at the time. And he was only saved for two years. And I thought, this is going to be crazy. I mean, how do you um, release a guy that's only two years saved um, to do ministry? And, um, and then the next moment, you know, God just dropped in my spirit. Uh, this church will be all right. There's enough seeds that you've sown that will uh, multiply and produce much fruit. And uh, it was a beautiful picture to me and something that God has spoken ever since to me about in the kingdom. And I want to talk about um, that heart this morning. And I want to even emphasize what Paul said in 2 Corinthians at the time um, of his, uh, him being in, in jail, him speaking about his life, and he was addressing um, uh, stuff in the Corinth church. Um, and um, let's get to it. Second Corinthians 10 verse 12. Uh, verse 13 actually. But we will not boast beyond limits, but will boast only with regard to the area of influence God has assigned to us, to reach even to you. For we are not overextending ourselves as though we did not reach you. For we were the first to come all the way to you with the gospel of Christ. We do not boast beyond limits in the labor of others, but our hope is that as your faith increases, our area of influence among you may be greatly enlarged, so that we may preach the gospel in the lands beyond you without boasting of the work already done in another's area of influence. Let the one who boasts boast in the Lord, for it is not the one who commends himself who is approved, but the one whom the Lord commends. And Paul had a um, a season in his life where he was so um, aware of 
uh, he was actually not in jail yet. He was um, in, in Ephesus at this time, and he was um, requiring of the church in um, the Corinth church, the first book of Cor uh, Corinthians. He's actually addressing issues, and the second one is he's then making a stance on his position as a father in that church. And he's um, in 2 Corinthians, especially from um, chapter 9, he's talking about the fact that there was a sphere of influence that he had within this church. And at this time, a lot of leaders was coming against the church, church of Corinth. And um, they were spreading some lies and some false doctrines. And it was a difficult time for Paul because he was now in Ephesus and, you know, he was doing other ministry and, and he was just hoping that they would come to their senses. And he was sending um, some of his sons to take these letters with the hope that they will turn. And um, Priscilla and Aquila was uh, serving with him as tent makers um, from Rome. They um, were persecuted there. They fled. Um, and in that persecution, they um, allowed the people to come into their house. They uh, started the church there. And Paul was now talking about a few things to them that was precious to him. He, he said, listen... I can easily just walk on. And it's for me the easiest thing to do to just forget about what's happening with you guys. But I'm not. I take seriously the responsibility that I have in the seed that I've sown in your lives. And I want to see it come to fruition because I know I will stand before God one day for this. For what's happening in and among you guys. And this is such a precious uh, picture of what was happening in Paul's life. But sometimes what we miss in the church of God. And I can tell you these days in church circles, we've become such consumerists that we forget what the gospel is all about. And we forget actually about the heartbeat and the father heart of God. And in this place, Paul is actually portraying the father heart of God to a church that desperately needs the conviction of the truth. And so he's saying, I'm not going to walk away from you until you get it. I'll write letters, I'll send sons, and, um, you know, we know that Paul didn't even send um, Timothy at that stage because Timothy was a little bit timid. But, um, you know, he, he sent the hard guns, the, the guys that could really um, speak harshly to this church with the, the heart. Listen, guys, I need you to change. I need you to come back to the real gospel. And, um, and we see at the end of, of um, 2 Corinthians how it turned out to be the greatest blessing and the church did change and they did come back to the truth and they did take serious what um, Paul spoke into their lives. But Paul had something um, in mind that I want you guys to, uh, to embrace this morning and, and, and that is a kingdom mentality, the, a perception about the kingdom that we often forget in church because we're so churchanized <laughs> That we think about church as a place where we have membership, like at the gym. And whenever you get to a stage where you don't see the benefits anymore, you walk on. And I want to address that this morning because I think there's a different mind. I don't think, I know there's a different mindset within the New Testament church that we must embrace and understand. Because your whole being will change and your way in which you will do outreaches, the way that you will approach people and disciple people will change if you start to receive the heartbeat of what Christ was doing in the New Testament church. So, Matthew chapter 24 verse 12, if you can um, turn with me, it says, And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. 
but the one who endures to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom, and I want you to, to make a mark there because this is an interesting um, concept that we must lay out this morning. And this gospel of the kingdom, not just the gospel, the gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. Okay, so we must talk about what does this gospel of the kingdom mean. Now, whenever in the Bible you see the kingdom of God, it speaks of the rule and reign of God. Okay, in a kingdom like we have here in the United Kingdom, now these days it's with limited powers that the queen still... Um, you know, can rule over us. Um, there's um, executive powers to the government. But one thing that I know is, in a kingdom, the king decides where you go and what you do. Okay? And you're subject to that king and you do whatever that king um, wants you to do. This is a very foreign concept in the church. And we struggle to get our heads around this because of democracy. And I can tell you, democracy makes us to think differently about you know, the way things must happen because whenever you choose for a candidate, you decide to choose for the person that can benefit you the best. So if you choose within a community a certain person as a candidate that you will support, it's whatever that person can do for you and change within your life in the next four years or five years. So it's, it's actually... Very selfish. Are, are you with me this morning? Democracy speaks of whatever you and I, and I'm not saying it's not the best form of governance. We're not going to get into that this morning, okay? Um, I still believe for what we have on this earth, there's not um, a better model yet. But what I can say to you, although I do believe in the rule and reign of God, but what I can tell you is democracy is the best that we have, but it does not enforce the principles that we need to um, embrace in our lives. Because it enforces a way of consumerism where you and I only choose whatever benefits us. But when it comes to a kingdom and a king deciding where the nation will be going, the king decides and everyone change their view around what the king is saying because you can't differ from the king. <laughs> Are you with me? Woo! Are you still with me? Because when we talk about kingdom, I want you to shift your mind a little bit into uh, where um, Jesus was at this time. And it was actually a time where there was a fierce kingdom ruling in the Roman Empire. I think it was actually the most perfect time for Jesus to arrive. Um, I always thought, you know, what would be the best time to come? Would it not be in this um, social media phase? You know, would it not have been better for Jesus to be you know, on every social media platform and everyone would be able to see whatever he's doing. And I can tell you, Jesus came for a reason and a time in the Roman Empire because of a kingdom principle. It was a time when people understood what it means to speak about kingdom. And that's why he said, listen, let's talk about kingdom. Because this gospel of the kingdom means the gospel we know, meaning the good news. It means the good news of the... Okay, okay. You're right, but you're also not totally right. <laughs> the kingdom meaning the rule and reign of God. So it's the gospel of the rule and reign of God in our lives. So yes, you can know about the kingdom, you can know about Jesus, but if He's not the Lord of your life, it's not good news. Are you with me this morning? 
So, so when Matthew 24 speaks about the gospel of the kingdom, it means that you know, the best news that we can give this world is that they die and they start to serve the king. <laughs> Are you with me? But that's not a message that the church like to actually proclaim. Because if you say to people, it's time to die, it's not a good news. <laughs> okay, we still struggle in our death in uh, everyday life. Is it not so? Or are you very perfect? <laughs> um, each one of us struggle every day to lay down our lives, to come to a place where we realize that nothing of us and more of Jesus. And this is the place where Matthew 24 becomes relevant in our lives because that gospel of the kingdom means that whatever God wills, whatever God wants in our lives. And my challenge to you this morning is that it is difficult. To serve Christ means that there's nothing about your agenda that matters anymore. You know, you're not yet in Wimbledon at this point because it's a good idea. When you start to serve the good news of the kingdom, it means that you must first go and inquire what is the desire of the king before you make any decisions in your life. But it's strange how we've become such consumer-driven um, people that we forget that it's not about, you know, I've, I've heard it so many times the last few weeks and I don't know where people are at, but I often hear people saying that, you know, I am um, going to do this and you know, God will be with me. And I want to say to you, when we talk about the gospel of the kingdom, you and I don't do whatever we want, and then Christ follow us. Christ go before us. He decides where we go, and if we follow him, we experience the blessing of the good news of the kingdom. Because there's no other place to be at in contentment than to follow Him and the full um, extension of His will. Romans 8 verse 14 says, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Psalm 145 verse 13, Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, meaning from generation to generation, and your dominion endures through all generations which means that um, God is interested in a kingdom that expands beyond us a place where we are you know going to see his fullness um, not just in our lives but the generation after us and you know I look at little Zoe and I look at Anna and Lana and every day me and Milani pray for them and trust that the seeds that we put in their lives will be enough because they are the legacy that God has given us. And so, not just physical children, but spiritual um, children that we are raising up. And that we trust in God to fulfill the promises that God has in their lives. And, um, and so, when it speaks of the gospel of the kingdom, it speaks of a place where, where the Jews always spoke about the kingdom of God. And, um, and so, in, in the Bible, you will read about the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven, which is more what the... Um, the uh, uh, non-Jews used at the time. But this is a place where that everlasting kingdom gets to be a reality. Now we're not talking about subjects here when we talk about this kingdom. Because the kingdom of, of Jesus 
um, that he came to establish looks a little bit different than that king ruling with a sword on, uh, you know, his um, throne. There's a place where Jesus did not come to bring us to a place of subjection, but a place where he served us. Where he decided to come and serve us as humanity and change the whole perspective about how it should look like when we actually come to fulfill kingdom. And this kingdom looks a little bit different than what we understand as a Roman Empire enforcing people to do their will. And, um, and so there's a few role players in this kingdom and, and, and I wanna, want you to today just get it right. When I talk about sons and um, when I talk about sons to this kingdom, I also refer to daughters. So it's not about gender here, because Galatians 3 verse 28 makes it very clear. But for you and I, it means that a position in the spirit where we relate to God. So the role players, 1 John 2 verse 12 to 14, the role players in this kingdom. I'm writing to you little children because you are, your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. I'm writing to you fathers because you know him who is from the beginning. I'm writing to you young men because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you children because you know the father. I write to you fathers because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you young men because you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you are overcome. Uh, you have overcome the evil one. So it speaks of Little children and their sins that are forgiven. Young men that overcome the evil one. Fathers that endure. Um, and um, there was three things that um, Christ came to do for us. As And it, this morning when, I, when we talk about this kingdom and different roles that we are playing. And you might be a, this morning a son or a father or uh, a young man in your, in your walk with Christ. But I can tell you. For all of us, it's the same in the way that we re relate to Christ. There's three things that Christ came to, to expect of us. The first one is that we reflect the Father accurately. That, you know, like we um, see the moon um, being a reflection, the light on the moon being a reflection of what's happening in the sun, um, it means that you and I can only reflect that which the Father does in our lives. Beautiful picture this week um, that I've read in one of the discipleship manuals is um, that uh, when God looks in the mirror, you see the picture of Jesus. Because that is the picture that He chose to reflect to the world in a physical form. For you and I, when we look in the mirror, we see Jesus and we see how far off we are from the perfect image of God on this earth. And I want to say to you this morning, one of the main reasons that you came to existence is the fact that you are reflecting whatever you receive from God. Um, the second thing is the one of representation of the Father's heart to the world. Is that Jesus you know, came to, to show us the Father heart of God. And that's what I'm talking about this morning because it changes the way in which we deal with people around us. It changed the way in our perspective about how we go about in doing things. 
But the only way that people will experience the Father heart of God on this earth is for you to be obedient to show it to them. And then the third thing is to reproduce Genesis 1. Um, and I want to get to Matthew 13 quickly. Um, Matthew, Matthew 13 verse 24. Now, in Matthew 13 24, this is the second um, parable of the sower. Now, the first parable of the sower was uh, about a, a um, sower that would go into a land. He would sow seeds, and those seeds will either fall on, let me see if you can remember, fertile ground, hard ground, weeds, and the wayside. wayside eh? So, thorns and thistles. Um, and so, it speaks about a sower. Who's the sower? Ooh, are you awake this morning? Who's the sower in this parable? Wonderful. Anyone that shares the good news. Okay. Anyone that shares the good news of the kingdom of God is the sower. So what is the seed then? The gospel of the good news. Okay. Um, the gospel of the kingdom. The fact that we need to die to ourselves and let Christ become more and God become the king in our lives. Okay. So, what is the ground then? The lives. Hearts. Okay. So, let's go later in, um, in this um, chapter. It says in um, chapter 13, and this is the second part of um, the, uh, the story told by Jesus, or the parable. It says in, in chapter 13, verse 24, He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed seeds, or weeds, sorry, weeds among the wheat and went away. Verse 36, it says, Then he left the crowds and went into the house, and his disciples came to him, saying, Explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field. He answered them, The one who sows the good seed is the son of man. Okay, now I want you to uh, shift a little bit in your um, understanding of this parable because the role players are changing. It says that the, um, the one who sows is the good seed as uh, the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world and the good seed is the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one. And the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age and the reapers are the angels. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so will it be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send his angels and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers and throw them into the fiery furnace. And that place there will be a weeping and gnashing of teeth then the righteous will shine listen to this this is beautiful mark it in your bible if you can then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father you as ears let him hear 
This is a beautiful parable. Um, this is a parable where it's a changing a little bit the dynamic of um, the story because I want to ask you, who is the sower now? Okay, you may not answer. <laughs> who is the, uh, what is the seed? The sons of the kingdom, it says. Okay, and what is the field? Okay, are you getting it? Are you moving along with me this morning? So if we talk about kingdom established here on earth, God's kingdom dynamics, His purpose for this earth, His understanding of how He's going to reach this earth is through? Jessica, you may not answer. <laughs> Sons of the kingdom. There's a place where He says, listen, the, the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. So if there's any hope for this world, and especially the time that we are living in, it's the sons of the kingdom being established and changed and transformed so that they can transform communities all around them. It's not, you know, sometimes we get so fascinated about the next course, and, you know, we run from church to church to get the next best thing, and we think that that is the solution. And we go and we think, you know, that uh, there's a flow happening, you know, this side of the world, or is... And yet we miss the, the kingdom principle. We, we miss the way in which God actually is pointing to you and he's saying, listen, you are my transformation in every set and sphere of society. I put my hope in you, not because you are to be trusted, but because of what I can do in you. Because when I start to transform your life and I become Number one, <laughs> when I start to rule and reign in your life, I can transform every circumstance around you. And, and this brings us to a place where we can um, see a demonstration of the multiplication um, factor, where we can see that the simplicity of the gospel um, reaches the hearts of people. So how will God bring the truth to the people around you? By using us. And I want to say to you, you know, we can um, take the Bible and we can put it on every counter in the whole of the United Kingdom and we can trust that people will read it and that they will be transformed. And yes, it does and it, there is amazing things happening when people read the Bible, but God has entrusted His narrative in His people. And I want to remind you that the First Testament church, the, the New Testament church was um, without a Bible for, what was it, about 100 years? Common theologian. Um, <laughs> I think it was only 150 after Christ that um, the first you know, written documents was used to, uh, to read the account of Christ. Where people started to make sense of the narrative, the stories of Christ. How did it happen that you know, for, for, for so long... The story of Jesus and the transformation of society was left into people telling the story of Christ. And so I want to say to you, yes, you know, we've got television evangelists and we've got amazing things happening in this um, technological age that we are in. 
But there's only one way in which people's lives will be transformed is if they see it's happening in yours. Because if the Bible doesn't change you, why should I believe it? The only story that we have to tell is not the one of the truth being a document that we can put in people's hands. It's about the revelation of what Christ has transformed in your life. And if He didn't, I don't want to know that story. Because the only story that I want to know is the one of you being transformed. And so I want to say to you, when it gets to sonship and when it gets to an understanding of what Christ is doing, He chose to leave a deposit in your life. And that transformation leaves you <coughs> to a place where He can transform society. And I, I'm so aware more than ever that if we want to get to the understanding of how are we going to walk the streets of London and beyond, you know, and, um, and see transformation happen, if we are willing to start to tell our stories, if we are willing to have the heartbeat of fathers wanting to see people transform. And this is the place of um, taking the responsibility that Paul has um, spoken about. The one that I will not walk away from this church because I've got a responsibility. I'm a dad in the kingdom. I've come to a maturity where I will not walk away because I understand what God has done here in my life. God has, has deposited in my life, not just for myself. And you know, the challenge that we have as a consumerist society and as a church today is that we so focus on our own kingdom and our own understanding of what that means in our own calling and trying to figure out what is the next 10 steps and 13 steps. Because if you go to a life coach, that's what they will do. They will give you 20 things that you will be doing the next year in order to amount to what you've done. And there's a place for that. But what I just want to say to you, and I'm not um, saying that it's not. But what I can tell you is this place of fathering, if we start to... To understand why we've been blessed by God to grow. You know, for my kids, I've watched um, last night a, a clip, actually, um, of this young boy. You know, I just saw it on, on Facebook, actually. This young boy, and he's um, standing on the front seat of his um, um, parents' car. I don't know why he doesn't have a safety belt on, but anyway. So, um, and he's now you know, swearing and, you know, saying, saying all kinds of F words. And, you know, it's quite sweet to see this little thing, you know, being so adulty that he can now um, swear and do all kinds of... And I can see lots of people laugh and comment on this and I think, yeah, this, this little boy. And I just think the whole time. The sad reality is if this kid grows um, older, he's going to be a mess. <laughs> if, if nobody's going to intervene in his life and tell him that this is wrong... There's going to be dire consequences to what is allowed in his life at this time. But so is society these days. Because kids are left to their own devices and they can do whatever they please. And like orphans, they can actually discover life for themselves. And they are allowed to actually discover life in such a way that they must now decide whatever they want to do in life. But I can tell you, the problem that we have with that is the immaturity that that brings in that boy for the rest of his life is that we will have an adult that will be like a child when he grows up. 
And so you are sitting in your workplace with children that pest your life with all kinds of, you know, things that they didn't um, um, discipline themselves to do um, in and through um, their grown-up uh, years that they had to grow up because there was not somebody that took hold of their growth phase and the promises that God has for their lives. And I want to tell you, tell you, I'm just thinking, the first thing that goes through my mind is, where did this child see these things? I've, you know, said many things in front of my kids in the past, and afterwards I think, you know, it was funny, and we all laughed about it, but actually I should have just tamed my tongue, because I will have to rectify whatever I said, because in it being so funny and, and, and even, um, you know, being without fear, I lost track about what impact that will have in their lives. And I must then rectify that. Because I can tell you, when you're a parent, you start to realize that, listen, whatever you do in your home, children pick up and they grow up with those things as they go along. But you know what? It's the responsibility of being a father or a mother that allows you to grow up. Because for that child, I want to not say to him, grow up. I want to say to his dad, grow up. You are messing up your child's life. And all that I, you know, want to say is that's where society is at is that we have many adults being like children and not understanding what it means to take responsibility. And so within the kingdom, the dynamic that we bring into church and to, into church culture is the same. You can throw out your toys out of the cot as much as you want, you know, because you are safe here. The only problem is if we don't come to a place of accountability with one another where we grow in our faith walk together we will become like little children being in adult shoes. And until we can get to the, 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 the understanding that, you know, God used family and fatherhood and motherhood as an example for us to grow in so that we can actually become the adults <laughs> that He wants us to be, we will, we will make sure that we grow faster. <laughs> And you know, I um, in my challenge as um, as a leader in this church, I can tell you, I must constantly grow. There's no ways that I can this morning decide not to come to church. Okay? There's no ways that I can swear in front of you. <laughs> I think you will think it's inappropriate. Next Sunday, you might not even come to church <laughs> because you don't expect me to perform in such a way. Are you with me this morning? And it's strange how we you know, have these <laughs> expectations of our pastor or our leaders in the church, but when it comes to us, you know, it's, it, it, we can do whatever we want. The challenge that I have before us, and I know this is an amazing church again, I don't want to um, let you guys feel condemned at all, but what I can tell you is, kingdom is an understanding that I must grow so that others can grow. I must become a father and grow up to be a father so that others can become fathers. 
There's no ways that I can be, you know, a leader in this church if I don't have the perspective of the kingdom and the understanding of God as the father to his people. Because that is what Jesus came to do. He said, listen, my, my standard is not of this world. I'm not measuring myself according to what is acceptable in society. I'm measuring myself to the greatest one. I'm measuring myself to the Father. I only do what the Father says I must do. So if we want to talk about standards and, and, and growth from an age of, <laughs> you know, was, was it nine? Jesus already um, started to preach in, um, in the church or in the temple at the time. Because Jesus had his standard being God the Father. For him, it was not about what this world has to offer and just to be better than, you know, the next one <laughs> uh, close to me. But often we find ourselves in the church like this. If I can just be better than the rest in the church, <laughs> or if I can in my workplace just be at least the best that the world has to offer in my workplace, if I'm just at least you know, showing some integrity, <laughs> the thing is, when it comes to kingdom, it's a place where you and I position ourselves to, to have the impartation of um, the Father in our lives. Now, uh, I remember me and my wife making this commitment um, early on in, in the ministry. And uh, our motto ever since was to raise people to become greater than we will ever be in this life. And, um, and that is one of fatherhood. And, uh, and I want to say to you this morning, people are not projects and... You know, the way that we go about in, in reaching out to people in our workplace. and It's not as if we are now seeing messed up people and we must get them just to, to wholeness because that's a project Christ has expected of us. There's a place of wholeness that Christ is bringing us to where you and I need to, to, uh, to come to the fullness by... Um, by allowing him to transform us. John 5.20 For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing. And greater works than these will he show him. So that you may marvel. John 14 verse 12 Truly, truly I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these will he do. Because I'm going to the Father. So the heartbeat of a father is, um, is where a father push people beyond what would ever, they will ever become. A father is able to raise, reproduce, mentor and release people in a way that they can fulfill um, their callings in their lives. Making the way. It's not about building institutions but being fathers to discipline and raise sons. True fathers direct the sons to their fathers as well. And, um, and 1 Corinthians 11 verse 1 is such an um, example. Imitate me just as I also imitate Christ. And this is Paul's heart. Paul says, listen, I've got this son, Timothy. And Timothy is a beautiful example to you guys. What it means to be a son in the kingdom and, a, and one that embraces actually a father's heart. Because... You know, this morning I'm not talking about the manipulation and control that goes on in church circles where you have control over people's lives and they must serve you and they must do whatever. I'm not talking about a charismatic 
hoo-ha that leads to nothing, okay, where people are just controlled. I'm talking about, and sometimes we throw out these principles out of the back door because we are so afraid that control will happen that we miss out on God's greatest gift to the church. Because I believe that fathering people will allow you to see them come to their destiny. To, and, and this is what Paul is doing in Timothy's life because he says, listen, it's just amazing to see what's happening in Timothy's life. Uh, Philippians 3 verse 17, brethren, <coughs> join in following my example and note, note those who so walk as you have us for a pattern. Philippians 4 verse 9 says, um, the things which you've learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do and the God of peace will be with you. So Paul understood that, you know, he, he was not asking them to do the things that his personality traits was. He said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. If there's anything that you want to duplicate in me, duplicate Christ in me. You know, spit out the bones, but please keep to the main focus. The main focus is Christ transforming my life. Yes, I've got things that need change, but one thing that I know is Christ is in me. Imitate that. Philippians 2 verse 19 to 22. But I trust in Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly, that I also may be encouraged when I know your state. For I have no one like-minded who will sincerely care for your state. For all seek their own. Not the things which are of Christ Jesus, but you know his proven character, that as a son with his father, he served with me in the gospel. Now this is an important one. So, he says, I've got the son, Timothy, and um, Timothy is, um, you know, special to me because um, I can send him with my full support because I know he will not just impact your lives. And Paul is at this stage sitting in jail. And he says to, uh, to them, Philippian church, I can send you, Timothy, uh, because I know that of anyone that I can send, this is one that I can send with a clear heart. Because he will duplicate, he will replicate exactly what Christ has done in my life. I know that he will not just come back with a report from you guys, but he will come back with a good report that will represent what Christ is doing in and through your church. And so um, we know that um, Paul at this stage is not talking about a person that is like him in personality. Paul was a fearful, you know, <laughs> a driven character. And yet, you know, Timothy was timid. He often had to say to him, Timothy, don't let them despise your youth. Don't receive a spirit of fear, but of love, power, and a sound mind. And so I can tell you for for, for Timothy's personality, Paul was not really a duplication of that. Because when Paul speaks about, I can send you Timothy, he speaks about a person that represents Christ that is in, in him. And he knows that, listen, he's going to impact your lives because of what Christ has not just done in my life, but in Timothy's life. In such a way that he can transform um, your life. And so... Paul is speaking about the fact that 
I can um, 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 send this um, Timothy to you because he has knit his heart together with the purposes of God in and through my life. And so, fathers uh, teach obedience and um, bring correction in, um, in sons' lives. Isaiah th uh, 3 verse 5 says, And people will oppress one another, everyone his fellow and everyone his neighbor. The youth will be insolent to the elder and to despise the honorable. Um, oppression will happen when immature rulers rule as babysitters over congregations. <laughs> and this is important to know. And I'm saying that this morning because I want to, to, um, to say to you, God has a desire to impart into your life in such a way that you can become a father in other people's lives. A person that can walk a road with people and see them coming to their fruition. Not because of what that will benefit you, but because of what that can benefit them. And the change that it can bring into their um, lives. Hebrews chapter 12 verse 6 to 8 says, For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. And um, Matthew, and I, I just want to say, guys, we often are too afraid to talk about these things in the church because why do people have the right to speak into my life? And sonship bring us to a place where we can position ourselves to be spoken into our lives. In accountability where we can actually grow to a place where we can become more mature. Matthew 1 verse 18 to 19. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to marry Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace. He had in mind to divorce her quietly. And so, 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 so here in Joseph's life is one of the most important things that he had to make a choice over. Because in Joseph's life at this stage, and you know, I was looking yesterday at um, this um, animated story of the star. I don't know if you guys have seen that, of um, the account of Jesus you know, being born. A beautiful story. Um, and, um, and again, I was just reminded of the fact that, um, you know, it must have been very difficult for Joseph. In the midst of this um, word that went out to Mary, that she will bear a child, and that child will be in the eyes of the world illegitimate, but it would be the Son of God. And to tell that story to the world, and to tell them that, listen, I'm still a virgin, <laughs> you know, I'm, uh, I'm still pure, and my husband-to-be is faithful, <laughs> he's, um, he's waiting for the marriage day, must have been in the midst of the moral standards and, and expectancy that they had at the time, so difficult to Joseph. And yet Joseph is confronted by principle to, uh, I mean... <laughs> To come to a place where he must decide, am I going to leave this woman and uh, in the eyes of society be of good reputation 
and of principle and of integrity because in the eyes of the world it's totally justified that I walk away from this woman. Are you with me? And yet, in the midst of all of this, Joseph decide to follow God's hand. And God speaks to him and um, it allows him to, um, to refocus in, um, in getting back to God's destiny and purpose for him. And I want to say to you, doing the responsible thing, doing whatever God has installed for your life is not easy. To be in step with where God is taking you and even the people that you touch is not the easiest thing to do. Fathers impart anointing. Malachi 4 verse 1 to 6. For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and all evildoers will be stubble. The day that is coming shall set them ablaze, says the Lord um, of hosts. So it will leave them neither root nor branch. But for you who fear my name, the sun of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall, and you shall th tread down the wicked. For they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act, says the Lord of hosts. Remember the law of my servant Moses the statutes and the rules that I commanded him at Horeb for all Israel. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes, and he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. So what is the spirit of, of Elijah? And uh, I think it's, you know, it's so important that we, we again remind ourselves of the context of Elijah in the midst of even our time. You know, here in Malachi, and this is the last bit of Malachi, the last of the prophets um, before 400 years of silence and um, Jesus coming. Um, the book ends off with a curse. <laughs> the, the book ends off with, you know, a, um, a story foretold that, you know what, something will be happening if we want to see the land being restored to the promise of God. The fathers and the sons must turn to one another and they must again celebrate one another in such a way that um, God's blessing can be bestowed upon the land. Now Elijah, um, you know, we know there's two things that he came to establish. The one thing was God's lordship over all of the gods at the time. And uh, we know how he had dealt with the, the prophets. Um, but also a multi-generation answer from, for the kingdom. <laughs> because God brings Elijah to a place of understanding that Elijah, now that you think you're so great and so amazing, can we talk about your successor? Because you are only a puzzle piece of the greater scheme of things. And I want to say to you this morning, you are just a puzzle piece, even though it's an important one to God, and, and He values you, and He, and he, and he, and he, he treasures you, and he, and he celebrates you, and he, for each one of us, it means that we are puzzle pieces in the greater scheme of things, and as we fulfill those um, purposes, God can fulfill um, His kingdom plan in and through us. And so, for Elijah, it means that for 
for generations, there's an issue in Israel. First of all, we see that um, Samuel was um, fathered by Eli. Eli being the priest, and Eli then, um, you know, raising up Samuel. Uh, the sad reality is, if you look at the picture, it says here in 1 Samuel 2 verse 12, Now the sons of Eli were worthless men. They did not know the Lord. Uh, now, if you look at Samuel's sons, they were none better because they couldn't follow up on the legacy of their father. So when Samuel had to give over the reins, his sons were so godless that um, there was no ways that he could do that. Listen to this, 1 Samuel 8, 6, 7. But the thing displeased Samuel when they said, give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed to the Lord, and the Lord said to Samuel, Obey the voice of the people in all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. So, so here's a, a major issue, because within the land, we have a, a, a generation to generation um, iniquity of dads that were spiritual giants, but they were struggling to raise up. Spiritual sons. Yo. This is a difficult one. Because David was no better. David was exactly the same place. If you look at his sons, they messed up everything that they touched. And from generation to generation, we see iniquity in, the, in, 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 in Israel that God wants to rectify. And we know that Jesus came to be the perfect father impart into our lives but I can tell you until Jesus Malachi is saying listen <laughs> we've got a problem this land is not going to be redeemed until we get this principle right because the spirit of Elijah means for you and I at the age and the time that we are in that God is going to bring restoration between generations in such a way that the generations will turn to one another again and, and appreciate one another for what it is and I'm not just talking about little ones and big ones. and I'm talking about a spiritual understanding that you and I have a deposit that God has left in our lives, but we must duplicate that. We must give that, because until we can get that right, we're going to miss out on God's greatest blessing for the end times, and that is that we need to come onto His page. The spirit of Elijah speaks of an anointing that gets passed on. And so, so uh, we see Saul failing. Saul, um, you know, being so uh, fascinated with his own gifting and his own calling and God making him the anointed um, of Israel that he often took the responsibility upon himself by saying, listen, um, I must take up the offering, you know, to God before... Uh, uh, um, the prophet comes because, uh, you know, I'm the answer to Israel. I'm the king. And he's taking, uh, he's taking it for granted that um, God's anointing is um, upon the prophet. And uh, what I want to say to you this morning is um, Saul failed because he wanted to please the people and not God. The people wanted and they desired a king that they could relate to. And the biggest issue for God at this time was 
don't they want to receive from me as their father? And so they want to have a king over them that will rule with a hard hand that will, um, you know, um, expect them to pay taxes and to do whatever is necessary rather than to have me as the Lord in their lives. And so God's ways is to be the king and share a legacy of fathers um, fathers to sons. David was a good leader, but a bad father. When gifted young men are not raised in character by fathers, they walk as illegitimate sons. The thing that would take you the soonest out of ministry is flawed character and not his thinking or knowledge. Fathers are supposed to impact in order to raise sons with character. And listen to the story of Absalom, and this is for me the ultimate. It's one of the saddest stories of the Bible that I till today, you know, um, find um, a sad reality. 2 Samuel 18 verse 18. Now Absalom in his lifetime had taken and set up for himself the pillar that is in the king's valley. For he said, I have no son to keep my name in remembrance. He called the pillar after his own name and is called Absalom's monument to this day. 1 Kings 19 verse 13 to 16. So I'm almost there. I know it's a lot of information, but I'm trusting that God is going to um, bring you to an understanding of the father heart. Uh, verse 13. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a voice to him said, What are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I've been very jealous for the Lord. And... Um, God of hosts, for people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars and killed your prophets with a sword. And I, even I only, am left. And they seek my life and take it, um, to take it away. And the Lord said to him, Go return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive, you shall anoint Ezeel, the king over Syria, and Jehu, the son of Nimshi. You shall uh, anoint to be king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Saphat, um, of very amazing name, you shall anoint to be the prophet in your place. And this is where, you know, for me, um, in the midst of his circumstances and uh, Elijah finding it difficult to make sense of what God is busy doing in his life, God gives him the answer. Elijah, the best thing that you can do is to go and anoint your successor. Because I want whatever I've put in your life to multiply from generation to generation. And you know what the beauty of that is? Is that Elijah did greater things than Elijah ever did. Because he understood what it meant to have the double portion. He fought for it. He said, I will not go away until you give me the cloak. And I want to say something... Um, Amazing this morning, and, I, and I, I truly believe this is true. For Aaron and his sons, they were never anointed into um, priesthood. They received a cloak that was passed on from generation to generation as Levites. That cloak was a sign of, listen, from glory to glory. I'm giving this mantle to you because my ceiling will become your platform. Your, your, your starting point. 
church are full of members that don't understand the essence and the beauty of God's kingdom dynamics. And I know this is a deep topic this morning. Because if we can grasp this one, I can tell you, God can do anything in our midst. Because we will have our hearts at the right place. The church of God today, you know, want to have numbers and amazing institutions and great buildings and and it's missing the point. It was never about that. It was never about the fact that we can become a great church and do great exploits and the community will know you. Here's an amazing um, light on a, on a hill. The community must know us because of the change and transformation that we bring in their lives as we journey with them. Because father hearts are the hearts that understand that there's broken people out there that needs a hand. There's people that need to be, to, to, to be where God wants them to be and they can't get them there if you don't take their hand. They're trapped in a place where they cannot get out and until you can come and take their hand and walk the road so that they can become fathers themselves, they will not get out of that place. But you know what we as Christians do, and I'm, I'm, I really am not, I know you guys are so faithful, I, I don't want to fight with you, but what I can tell you is what I see in the church. We disqualify people and we grind them and we tell them how filthy they are and they can't get it, and we're missing the opportunity to father them into adulthood. And there's too many perfect people in the church. And I'm saying perfect because it's... And too many broken people out there that are actually just saying, I need a father, a mother that can lead me to fulfillment. I desperately need a mother just to tell me when I swear, listen, this is not the right way, it's not good for you. When you make those long distance calls to heaven by saying the G word, that's very costly um, uh, telephone calls. If you make those telephone calls, it costs you a lot actually. Your bank account is going to be empty. Stop it. Don't use God's name in vain. Are you with me? And so it's easy to have all kinds of courses going along and you know we, we, can, we can in this church do awesome things and we can preach Sunday to Sunday and we can you know have the greatest worship going around. But until the heartbeat of God touches our lives so that we can know why we are here in existence and why we need to grow and not be irresponsible in our doing, we're going to stay where we are. And, and I'm talking about the church um, collectively. And so, um, if I um, go to verse 19, it says, parted from there, and he found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, was plowing with twelve yoke of oxen in front of him. And he was with twelve. Elijah passed by him and cast his cloak upon him and he left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said let me kiss my father and my mother and, and then I will follow you and he said to him 
go back again, for what have I done to you? And he returned from following him and took the yoke of oxen and sacrificed them and boiled their flesh with the yokes of oxen and gave it to the people and they ate. Then he arose and went after Elijah and assisted him. He decided to, uh, to follow God's, um, God's call because there was a man called Elijah that understood um, the anointing needed to be passed on. Now, I want to end off in saying to you this morning, um, be careful to become fathers hastily and lose track of the inner need to have fathers yourselves. And uh, that's the one thing that I know is God has called us to disciple this year. He's called us to, um, to give whatever we receive to other people. And, um, and I've found that many times we find it difficult to disciple others because we've not been discipled ourselves. And for some of us, it means that we must actually backtrack and uh, start to allow God to speak into our lives by walking a road with people, fathers in our lives, people that are more mature than us, that will allow us just to, to grow beyond where we are at. And yes, some of us even have the responsibility as young men to uh, grow very fast <laughs> because otherwise, you know... Um, the young ones coming in, you will not be able to, um, who's going to uh, disciple them? And you are deep-ended. But the beauty of it is a dependence on the Father and the Father heart of God and the understanding that God, I cannot do this in my own strength, but I want to. I want my heart to be at the right place. A place where I can start to um, get excited about what God, you are doing in my life. Um, if you can quickly stand with me, I'm going to, um, to end off there this morning. Now I want to read a few things um, about um, sonship this morning of Larry Stockstill. And some of you might even have heard that um, himself and, um, and uh, Franklin Graham is um, finding a lot of resistance to come into the country to come and share the gospel here in the stadiums in and around the UK. And um, with a lot of opposition um, and um, because of their, their belief and, and trust in the truth. And uh, Larry Stocksell was basically um, one of the, the fathers in the faith that um, started the cell movement, as you guys would uh, know it, the small groups in churches and uh, with the G12 principle. And, and he did great things um, in the church circles. Uh, for the church and in raising up um, sons. Now I want to just read a few things that he mentioned about sons and I want you to bear with me. He says, um, sons built the house, servants merely maintain or serve. Servants never initiate anything. They do what they are told. It's uh, not my job syndrome. Uh, number two, sons hold the father's heart and success of the father's work as their own. If you are faithful with another man's possessions, you will be faithful over your own. God only gives ministry to someone based on his faithfulness with another man's ministry. Number three, sons are family orientated and slaves are issue or ministry orientated. A servant will take an issue instead of rather seeing to it that the family continues to develop. They are looking for something that can divide 
so that they can splinter off a group for themselves. Sons use the language of family. Servants use individual terminology, me, my, mine. Sons say we, ours. This is our vision, our um, uh, collective vision from God. To servants, it's more important what happens around the church than the relationships in the church. Number five, sons honor headship and cover the nakedness of their father. Servants trade in and expose nakedness. Shem and Japheth covered the nakedness of their father. Ham delighted in it. Sons will defend the church. Servants will always talk of how bad they are treated. Number six, sons will naturally honor their chain of command. Servants continually question the chain of command. Um, when they don't like the person that is set over them, they let everyone know. It doesn't matter to the sons who are put over them because they, they say their father has put him or her over them. Number seven, we're almost there. Sons want to share their lives with their fathers down to the third generation. The mentality of the son is, I was not here first, my father was here first. The vision of the house was established before I got there. Uh, the servant says, I want to change the vision. I don't like it. Do this and do that. They don't serve the vision. Number eight, sons bond new people to the family and the father. Servants bond new people to themselves. In a storm, you will find where people are bonding. Two rebellious spirits act, acting them independently, Satan will bring them together. Number nine, sons focus on the welfare of people. Servants focus on appearance. Number 10, sons share their inner conversions, conversations. They talk about what is going on inside of them. Servants tell you only what they want you to know. A hireling will, will serve you with his lips and a son will serve you with his heart. Eleven sons are secure and you can handle, and they can handle correction. Servants put the blame on others. Rejection breeds rejection and everything you say is interpreted that way. Number 12, sons have puppy feet. Servants come into the house full grown. They know it all. Sons has potential, but the puppy grows until it meets the body. You know what? I'm reading it to you this morning because one thing that I know is that the church is full of know-it-all people today. And um, the sad reality of it is that the church is more powerless than it's ever been um, in history, although we know that Christ is going to, to do extraordinary thing in the last days and he's going to restore his bride, there's one thing that he wants to do in our hearts before we can get there, is a commitment to see others become greater than we will ever be. A commitment to see God, you've called us collectively to a place where we can change society. God, you've called us to... Um, to fulfill your plan and purpose, not just in my life, but in everyone's life around me. You know, it's easy to get together with the people that you naturally get together with. <laughs> it's more of a challenge to, um, to walk a journey with people that, um, that are challenging. And God wants us to, um, to get to a place where we can get together and forge 
and he wants to forge a mighty weapon in his hand when people start to gel together and fulfill his promise because they are laying down their own lives. And, um, and for me it's so clear that um, within church circles I'm trusting God to bring a rectification, you know, in, um, in the global church where it will not be a, about the stuff. You know, you came to this church and my question to you would be, why did you come to this church? That's something that you must go and ask God because um, the big thing is God forge hearts together so that He can fulfill His purposes. And we stay accountable to one another, not because of, you know, control. And I, I want to be very clear on that. I hate control in church circles. But because of how we can celebrate one another and the giftings that God has placed together. And this morning, all that I'm asking God, and um, I'm standing before you with um, a conviction again in my own heart. Um, God is saying to me, you know what? Are you serving people? <laughs> or are you serving me? Are you going to come back to the fact that I have a plan and while you are connected to that plan, I will, I will lead you? That's the best place to be. Um, that's not a place where we, we will see, um, you know, uh, thousands of people um, you know, uh, uh, coming to church because they, uh, they think it's nice to be uh, sacrificial. But the conviction of Christ is in their hearts to fulfill His promise. And so, um, so I'm, I'm uh, this, this uh, morning um, challenging each one of us you know, to, uh, to come to the place where Christ becomes the most important thing, where the Father, again, and His agenda becomes the more, most important thing in your life. Um, the culture that goes with that, the culture of a father generation, is a generation that understands, God, I'll grow, <laughs> but um, the most important thing is to walk this journey with you. Let's bow our heads. Father, we thank you this morning that you, um, you have a father heart that you want to pass on from generation to generation. And Father, being here in London, we realize that um, the, the society that we are in, Father God, is finding it so difficult to commit to, to your promises in their lives. They are seeking for the solutions. And Father God, it's not as if, Father God, they don't want to even. They are looking for fathers and mothers to lead. To take charge. To, uh, foot, to put the foot down and to say, listen, I'm not going to allow the enemy to steal from your life anymore. And God, this morning we come to you in the name of Jesus. And we pray for this country. We pray, Father, for the spirit of Elijah to return, Father, in our midst. The one, Father God, we're selfish church and, Father, just doing all kinds of nice stuff, but it's got nothing to do with, Father, your agenda. 
that you will, Father, come and remove, even within us, everything that is not of you. Strip us, rather, Father God, from the things that is our own desires and bring us back to the Father heart of God to do exactly what the Father wants. And Father, I pray that we will start to let our hearts break what breaks yours, Father God. That person at work that is going through such a struggle. And Father God, we are too afraid to even share the gospel with them. And Father God, I, 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 uh, I pray that um, things will shift in our hearts, Father God. Not because of us banging people over the head with a with the Bible, but us having a heart to see people coming to their fruition. I pray, Father God, that we will stop to be so busy in life, Father God, that we don't have time to spend with people. Father, we become so busy that when we get home, we just want to sit on the couch and do me time. And Father God, we this morning want to ask you, come and show us how that picture looks like. What it, what it means to us, Father God, when we start to, to partner with you and, and start to break our heart for what breaks yours. And I want to pray this morning, Father God, for a, a transformation in our, in our midst, Father God, where we will willingly even allow ourselves to, to be transformed to grow from sons to young men, from young men to fathers, ourselves, Father God, by willingly, Father, subjecting ourselves to growth and challenge in letting Father speak into our lives. And Father, I pray that, um, that you will teach us even how that looks in um, the context of the society that we are in. Father, our desire is to please you. Father, we are not going to believe the lie that it can't be done. That, Father God, it's impossible to, um, to be accountable to one another and to, uh, and to grow because of one another. We choose, Father God, to, uh, to become the disciples at the time that we are living, Father God. We know that we are the people called, like your disciples, we are the people called for a time such as this. And we can find solutions to all the problems of society if we just keep our ears close to your chest. And this morning we choose, Father God, to, uh, to receive the Father's heart in the name of Jesus. Amen. I want to, just um, in closing, I want to encourage you, I know it's, um, it's late. Um, in closing, just turn to the person next to you and, and just be um, honest about where you are at, at this moment of your walk with Christ, you know, and, um, and just commit to um, this morning, at least come to a place of saying, God, I want to, I don't know how I'm going to get there, but I want to have a father's heart. I want to actually redefine. Thanks, Jessica. Um, I want to, um, 
I want to be um, uh, uh, um, the person that commit myself to journey with other people. And uh, I know this is a difficult one and I, I know immediately what's going on in your heads. It's how am I going to find time and, you know, how am I going to uh, find um, money to uh, pay for that coffee to uh, spend with a person. Um, but uh, I want to say to you, leave that to God because God is more committed to fathering and to um, the provision of it than you would ever be. Just come to a place where you reposition your heart to a place where God, I want to, and I'm going to allow myself to grow to a place um, of maturity. Is that all right? Okay, let's end off with that in prayer. And then, um, guys, there's some coffee and cake. And um, Jessica was nice enough to leave her cake for us. So uh, we're going to, uh, to enjoy it without uh, uh, she needs to... Uh,